welcome to Jeff Pasito Reads. I'm Jeff Pasito, and this is today's story. Static, Chapter 5 This factory used to make tiles, individual pieces of clay that were shaped into squares or rectangles or rhomboids or whatnot and then baked. Bonding these dry earth slabs to floors and walls were the norm before they stumbled upon ceramic paste. A cost-effective, environmentally friendly, and extremely durable way to decorate and protect the surfaces of your house? Who wouldn't drop dirt squares in a heartbeat? This particular company, Tile One, must have closed down this particular plant quite a while ago. Cobwebs clung between each and every adjoining surface, inches thick in places, and congealed dirt windswept into corners and strewn about haphazardly made that abundantly clear. But even after all that time passed, the air still smacked of the sweat of workers and the scent of hydraulic fluid. The shop floor hung heavy, dusty, wet odorants that you tasted more than smelt, and that sickly oil stuck in your skin and you felt like it was sliding up your limbs, enveloping your body like a symbiotic parasite. I had to lie to Jared in Big Country to keep us away from my parents' house. They knew much more about me than I knew about them, which pretty much amounted to two facts. I had parents, and they lived in Crystal Falls. I told them that they had moved into an apartment, a small two-room in a retirement villa area. As the words escaped me, I grimaced. That was too much detail. They might catch on. Always keep your lie simple, or better yet, honest. My parents hadn't bought anything, but they pretty much lived in two separate rooms of their house, barely acknowledging each other as they passed between their carved-out spaces. I guess life will do that to you over time, the monotonous strain day after day just hammering you down until you basically run on autopilot, cogs in a machine just spinning when needed, or ants on a television screen obscuring the static. Or would they be making the static, blotting out the lights of life as they traversed its surface? I quickly followed up my earlier thought with a factual statement. Keep their minds moving and they won't dig too deep into the lie. We'd never all fit in the place. Sad thing was I spent about three weeks in Crystal Falls and never once went to visit my parents. I was afraid Big Country might see me go and figure out my little lie. Not quite sure what I feared really. It's not like he could do anything about it. He couldn't force us to stay at my folks' place. Over the course of that first week in the burbs, Big Country had started to unwind a bit. It wasn't anything he said or did, just the way he carried himself, like weights were slowly being lifted off him. His posture grew more inviting, and his actions mirrored those of an actually happy person. Hell, he even hopped online with Jared a couple times. Who'd have thunk the country life would have done good for Big Country? Jared, for his part, was delving deeper and deeper into himself spending more and more time every day under the flickering glow of his relays. I woke up one morning in that old factory to a bizarre muffled sound coming from somewhere outside my room. I slid out of my makeshift bed, a few heavy blankets draped over a half dozen wooden pallets, and padded my way softly to the factory floor. I scanned the dark, virtually empty expanse of the room, my lids barely cracked, taking in the soundscape only. I shuffled to the bathrooms and the unfamiliar sound diminished. Chalking it up to the wind lazily whistling through the web of conveyor belts and piping, or some stray animal bleeding out its last breath in one of the many forgotten corners of the warehouse, 
I pushed open the door to the bathroom. It creaked on ancient hinges, cocooned thick with dusty grease that seemed to form in cellulite globules along each hinge seam. Reaching down to my right, I twisted a knob and the incandescent flamed to life, the heat from its burning argon filament sublimating the glass sphere's dust-coated surface to a repungent scent of old that caused me to flinch slightly. The bathroom lights were on timers, so instead of switches, you turned a dial up to 360 degrees to have the light on for up to 30 minutes. Some pretentious frugal bookkeeper saw dollar signs when they did a projected cost analysis and must have taken this company for a ride with their guaranteed cost-cutting plan. I'm no registered financial egghead, but just based on the sheer scope of this facility, I highly doubt saving a few pennies on a few forgotten lights was worth the effort or implement. I walked to the sinks, a row of small octagonal stainless steel basins affixed to the wall, their drain pipes hidden somewhere within and running off into the wall's cavity. Placing my palms against the cool edge of the sink, I tested its stability by resting my full weight upon it as I stared blankly at the dull, off-white corrugated sheet before me. From one corner of the thin chrome bezel that surrounded the mirror screen, an off-yellow quarter circle bloomed out about six inches. Those pixels would be dead. Victims of an impact strike or water damage? I didn't know for sure. I flicked the switch to the left of the screen and it sprang to life with an audible buzz as pure white light poured out of it. Softening to a dull hum, the excited pixels relaxed and my amorphous form slowly coalesced into a visual representation of my long, tired-looking face with my eyes staring slightly off-center. The hidden camera behind the screen must have been knocked out of balance at some point and now relayed a skewed image of me back. I squinted slightly. Why were the main lights of the bathroom on a timer if this power-hungry reflective screen system could be left on simply by forgetting to flick the switch? And that's when it hit me. That sound I was hearing, the continuous whistling whine that seemed to undulate at near-perfect intervals, was the sound of crying. I sat in the factory's lunchroom staring at a bare wall. The plastered surface was paper-thin, Dark pockmarks of cross-shaped screw heads ran vertical braille just below the surface. I was contemplating the paltry paint job when Big Country entered the room in his usual imposing but aloof nature. I stared up at him, waiting for his returned gaze to nod a good morning at him, but his eyes never wavered. He just stared over my head, slightly to the left of me. His eyes appeared slightly puffy, reddened around the sockets. It could have been the last remnants of sleep falling from his face, but the involuntary pursing of his lips and slight tremble of his lids led me to believe it was him who I had heard crying earlier. Big country? I called to him with no response. Big country? I repeated louder, but clearly not loud enough. Big country! I said again, clearly loud enough to catch his attention, but he had no reaction. He remained stone-faced, his eyes lost in nothing. Slowly, he began to turn his face towards me, his eyes still unfocused, somewhere between us or beyond. It was as if he had heard me, but chose to react on his own time, at his own speed. He chose when he would turn to me. We have to get back, he said, eyes appearing to slightly cross. We have to get back to flesh, to skin. To the visceral. He spoke towards the distance between us, 
to life. His eyes slid into focus, staring right into me. We've been distanced from it, from each other, for far too long. We need to touch. We need to feel. Big Country raised his right hand up, the fingers glistening slightly. Need to feel for real. Even for Big Country, this conversation was obscure. What? I said, more a statement than a question. His diatribe came from out of nowhere. He was distant, indifferent to the world around him. He sounded lost and not at all present. A machine can't tell you what something, someone, really feels like. He blinked for the first time. It can't tell you that. His eyes unfocused again, this time staring through me, and I wasn't even sure if he knew I was in the room with him anymore. I was actually pretty confident he never knew I was in the room at all. He was speaking for his own benefit. I just happened to be hearing him. He moved his raised hand to his cheek and ran two fingers down the side of his face, arcing in towards the corner of his mouth. They left a smooth, reddish-brown streak on the right side of his face. It was only then that I noticed a matching mark on the left side of his face. Was that blood? I ran my eyes down and across his body, looking for anything amiss, and stopped at his feet. He was barefoot, with tiny flecks of almost imperceivable red scattered across the tops of his veiny feet. Behind them, there was an offset streaky pattern of smeared red footprints. I flashed my eyes to his. They were still lost in whatever world his brain had made for him, so I slowly slid from my seat and crept around him to get a closer look. There was no doubt now, those footprints were blood too. I followed them back out through the door Big Country had left ajar and across the factory floor to a wardrobe-like cabinet at one end of the building. The color intensified as I got closer to the cabinet, as well as the amount of smeared blood. It became a small pool at the front of the doors. I pulled the doors open and there, hanging from her armpits on two makeshift hooks, was a skinny, naked woman, her body covered in what looked like thousands of razor blade cuts, each drained of blood, coating her in a sickly sheen of red. Me and Jared were in the car and halfway to Nightcrest when I snapped back into consciousness. Everything flooded back to me instantly, and the car jerked around the road as my chest heaved and my arms spasmed. The cops were on their way to pick up Big Country. I may have called them. Or maybe Jared did. All I knew for sure was they were heading there. I could hear the sirens in the distance. I didn't speak to Jared for the entire drive. We just sat there in silence while the tarmac rumbled beneath us, rusty suspension bouncing us as we bounded over seams in the pavement. I had spared Jared the details. That much I knew for sure. I remember telling him Big Country did something bad, and that was it. That was actually all I ever told him about it. I don't know if I kept it from him to protect him or myself from the memory. Jared called me up about a week after we got back and asked me to come over. Gail, over? were his exact words. Those were actually his last words. At least the last words I had heard him say. When I got to his place, he just shoved the pack of Bruno's neon blue shit into my palm and gestured to the couches. Thank you for listening to today's story. If you'd like to get in touch with me, 
you can reach me by email at jeff at pasito.com. That's J-E-F-F at P-A-C-I-T-T-O dot com. On Twitter at jpasitoreads, or visit our website at pasito.com. See you soon. Some additional sound effects for this episode are from zapsplat.com and used under their standard license. All contents of this audio broadcast are copyrighted by Jeff Pasito.